welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everyone. Today we are discussing Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 6, The Journey from Platform 9 and 3 Quarters. I am your host, Madison. And I'm Rebecca. And damn, have we got a story for you, because it's, <laughs> it's been a chapter. A lot going on. And it's also kind of a welcome back moment, because we haven't recorded for a while because of the wildfires. Um... But we are back at it again, everybody. We are thankfully unsinged, just a little smoky. So A lot smoky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we meet quite a bit of the main cast of characters through the rest of the series in this chapter. Meet almost everyone in this chapter. Yeah. Like, everyone who we don't meet is <laughs> mostly already at Hogwarts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um... Any any thoughts on this chapter from you? Um, I feel like we're going to get into a lot of my deeper thoughts on it, but um, basically it's just a very, it's a very fun way to get introduced to everybody, but it's also like so much. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot. Yeah. It's well, exciting, but it's I felt it's a rushed. little... <laughs> <gasps> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So let's get into it. Let's munch on our Patronus fuel, um, something we love from the text and why. And I say munch because mine, you know, if you saw, how old was I when I first read this? Nine, nine-year-old Maddie reading this for the first time, reading that paragraph where Harry's like, ooh, there's no Mars bars, but there's everything else you could possibly want. Chocolate frogs, cauldron cakes. I still get such a rush thinking about how much I want to buy everything on this trolley and eat it and then share it with somebody and sit and you just eat this candy feast. That That is a fantasy. That is an absolute fantasy. And I think we need to take a train ride together. Okay. And just bring a bunch of candy. <laughs> Let's do Cause it. Because like there's definitely short train rides we can take that would go like through rainy things and it'd be very Hogwarts expressy and we just have like a candy feast together. There's gotta be like a train up to Seattle, right? There is. Okay. Alright. So we have plans. Mm-hmm. We got okay, stuff cool. to do. <laughs> Beyond candy, um the Weasleys are finally here. Yes. Almost all of them. Yeah, most of them. And we at least hear about all of them. So Yes. Very exciting. I love um, the moment with Fred and George where sh- um, their mom is just like, don't blow up any toilets. And like, we've never blown up any toilets, but thanks for the idea. That's great. <laughs> and then they're like telling Jenny, we're like, we'll send you a Hogwarts toilet seat. And the mom's like, stop it. <laughs> but it like cheers Jenny up. And it's just so sweet. Because they're like, they're so like, me and older brother to Ron. But with Jenny, I just love their relationship. They're yes. just so like, loving, but also kind of messing with her it's very cute it's adorable they i think that the weasleys probably formed my sense of humor pretty not just the twins all of them but so reading that hogwarts toilet seat everything they do just i laugh like a maniac because they're great (laughs) they are great i've always connected with fred too yes fred george and it was really nice to see molly and have I'm sure we'll get into like the fact that nobody is perfect in these books, including Molly Weasley or Arthur Weasley. But damn it, she is such a like loving, warm figure, and I just want to hug her. 
every single time. And she's we so get to helpful this. whenever, yeah, whenever Harry um, needs to get on the train and he just like goes up and asks. Like it'd be very easier for her to be like, well, why aren't why isn't your family here? Or, like why don't you know? Like who left you here? Question things, but instead she just goes, oh yeah, sure. Here's what you do. Go ahead, I'll watch you. Yeah. Like she doesn't ask any questions. She doesn't judge him at all. She just like answers what he asks her and helps him out and doesn't expect anything afterwards and it's just very sweet it is she regardless of how she parents her children and the mistakes she makes she's a very good parental figure to harry yes <laughs> so our next segment is enchantingly nasty so something that we found frustrating from this chapter the dursley's just kind of ditching harry at king's cross is like Ooh. so beyond like the level of shitty that they've done so far like which is kind of hard to say because they've done some pretty terrible things <laughs> like i mean he was living in a cupboard but <laughs> but they literally they'd have to drive into london which means this is not nearby i think he lives in surrey or something i don't know exactly how far away this is mm-hmm. but it's not something where he can just walk home or something and no. he's got this giant trunk he's got a freaking owl with him <laughs> and they just ditch him in king's cross station it's just wild to me that grown adults would do that to an 11 year old yeah i mean what is their plan like if harry hadn't been able to get to hogwarts were they gonna come back were they waiting evilly for a call from some train conductor saying they found their lost child like well and this is before cell phones were like commonplace too Mm -hmm. because this was back in the 90s and, like, it's not like Harry had a cell phone to, like, call and be like, hey, there's no train. Can you come pick me up? Like, I mean, there's nobody. He didn't know anybody. No. And so they would have had to wait for the Dursleys to probably get home to get a phone message that he'd been there. Or he would have had to tell, like, some random, like, train police people. <laughs> oh, like, my family's at the hospital getting my cousin's tail removed. Can you please take her to them? <laughs> With my giant trunk of wizardry things and my owl. <laughs> That's like a this horrible fantasy Vernon must have had for forever to just leave Harry behind somewhere. Can you imagine the like the judgment he would have gotten if he'd gotten caught doing that though? Oh, oh man. Like I don't think he was prepared for what that would have actually meant for him no. if it didn't go well. No, not at all. That if somebody had found him abandoning a child at a train station that would not doesn't matter if you're the director of grunnings or not that's yeah it's not gonna fly it's not gonna go well i am thinking of my own enchantingly nasty tidbit which is the hate i feel every time i read this chapter thinking about nasty peter pettigrew tagging along on harry's first trip to hogwarts as a rat and like all the fucked up stuff that he did in, you know, being a double agent and betraying all of his friends, leading to their murders and their imprisonments, etc. And now he's like living as the companion animal of multiple children of his enemies. Like, because the Weasleys are, you know, I don't know that they were in Dumbledore's army the first time, but they're definitely not aligned with Voldemort and the Death Eaters. And I just... It's really weird to think about Peter being there and just witnessing all of this, even in rat form. It makes me feel 
uncomfy. Our next segment is Akio Fandom. And Rebecca, you have found us a fan fiction this time. I did. So this fan fiction is called Beating Heart. It is by Witty Piglet on fanfiction.net. Great name. A great name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is, it actually ends up being a dreary fic, I guess, but right now we're in the kind of introduction phases of things because this kind of, this chapter, chapter two, it takes place um, kind of where we're at in the book is on the train. And it's basically what happened, but from Draco's point of view, which is kind of interesting to see because, you know, in the book we just get um, Harry's view. And obviously we we learn to tell that Harry is a very biased child in these <laughs> books. <laughs> we kind of get what he thinks of things and we don't get much else, which, you know, it's called Harry Potter. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Um. What I liked about this chapter is later on when we get to the point where they're talking um, in Harry's and Ron's train car with Draco and his buddies Crab and Goyle. Um, whenever things kind of start to go awry with Ron kind of like laughing at Draco, he starts to hear his father's voice. Mm. Like whenever... Um, Whenever Ron kind of laughs at Draco's name, then he kind of hears his father, vo- his father's voice saying the Draco name is not to be laughed at and those who do are going to regret it. Um, and so that kind of sets him off into like, you think my name's funny? Like, I don't need to ask about you. And he kind of like goes off on him, which I think is probably very similar to things that happened to Draco is he probably, anytime he did something wrong, he would probably get personally attacked as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of gives a lot of insight into why Draco gets so intense. Yeah. And so, like, whenever um, he's kind of telling Potter, like, you don't want to make friends with the wrong sort, like, I can help you, then he hears his father's voice saying that no one stands above uh, purebloods, no one stands above the Malfoy name. So he's just very, it's very ingrained in him that his family is the best. And so he doesn't understand why Harry wouldn't want to be friends with him. Mm -hmm. And so he's, he's, keeps hearing his father's voice so later on like throughout this whole thing he's just like here's his dad saying like Malfoy's don't apologize for anything and so that's why he, he kind of keeps doubling down on being a little jerk yeah. in the train car <laughs> um and it's it's interesting because I think that that's a very realistic explanation mm-hmm. because we he gets so intense in the scene and we're going to talk about that a little bit from you I think later on yeah but um he he's so intense and it makes sense that there would have to be a reason why an 11 year old would be so drastic in the things that he's saying and so dramatic and it would make sense that the reason for that is that he's been so brainwashed by his dad to believe these things that you know the Malfoys are the best the purebloods are the best that no one should be laughing at him and that he's a special child and so to see Mm. Harry Potter who's like the ultimate special child here not (laughs) want to be on his side is very confusing for him yeah and it's um it's an interesting way to look at at draco's introduction i love the idea that um we get in any capacity some insight into draco's mindset because it would have been it would have been nice and awesome if harry had been able to um 
even throughout the series, have a little bit more compassion for Draco. Like, mm-hmm. it totally makes sense why he didn't. Um, and I, it is not a... <laughs> Draco did awful, shitty things. Um, but because Harry can be so, um, you know, focused on very much a lot of times, like, this is right and this is wrong, mm-hmm. it's hard for him to see sometimes and analyze why might somebody be doing this? Is there a way that I could offer a hand to help this person step out of their hatred? And, you know, it's never anybody else's job to do that necessarily for another person. But when we can do that, it's really nice. And so it's nice to see some author, a fan fiction author, offering Piglet, Wing Piglet, what was it? Oh, hold on. I got this. This is... Witty Piglet. Ah, so Witty Piglet giving Draco kind of that arm of compassion and empathy saying, hey, like, this is what's going on. This is a child who has experienced horrible things. So let's let's think about what Draco is going through in this moment to make him so aggressive. So I, I like that kind of insight. Yeah, and I think especially, I think it, it's kind of fair to expect that, like, Harry hearing this he's gonna have a very different reaction but for us as adults reading this i think that absolutely it makes more sense for us to try and understand draco because in this situation it's us as adults talking about a child and i think that we need to give draco room to like you know not necessarily be like the epitome of all evil (laughs) (laughs) right he's a complex child just like all children are and i think it's important to recognize that there's reasoning behind him being the way that he is. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame that there were no adults that offered Draco that kind of hand that he would have needed at Hogwarts. I think it does explain why he's so drawn to Snape, though, as well. is because Snape's the only one who, like, recognizes him and treats him as if he's a very um, a special kid and a very smart kid. Because he's used to being, like, the best at what he does. He's used to being a really great flyer. Yeah. He's used to being a really smart kid. He's used to knowing a lot of stuff and being recognized for that. And Snape's the only one who ends up treating him like that. Yeah. I mean, like, Moody, who's not actually Moody, ends up turning him into a ferret. Like, <laughs> he's not respected by a lot of the people at Hogwarts. And it's not something he was prepared for. No. And it's... So it explains why he's so drawn and connects so well to Snape. Yeah, which is, you know, you've got to, that's a really great point that it's it's so important as adults to be giving this kind of compassion to children because children can't really do that for each other necessarily. It's not, you know, they're children. They Mm -hmm. should be expected to. (laughs) Yeah, and kids make mistakes and kids think dumb things. Like like if, if you think that a kid is saying something that sounds wrong or that sounds messed up or something just telling them like you're a piece of shit moving on is not going to help them be a better child no. <laughs> like it's not going to help them grow or anything i think giving a child room to to figure out that they need to grow from what they're thinking and that they need to um be open to other ideas and other types of people and things is the only way you're ever really going to to help that child improve any aspect of their life absolutely great fan fiction yes good thoughts 
So our next segment is the Department of Social Justice. So these are kind of issues that we found in the chapter, like um, related to social justice or identity issues and stuff like that. I think we had quite a few thoughts in here this chapter. Oh, yes. You can talk about it briefly, because um, I think in future chapters we can go further into it, but um, we start talking about Hogwarts houses and whose house, you know, which house are we going to be in? This is the good one. This is the bad one. And it felt like everyone was talking about, like, which volleyball team do you want to be on? Which soccer team do you want to be on? And it, I don't know, we're, there's a lot to be said about houses and it's clear already how just the idea of getting into these houses is loaded with meaning and loaded with uh, division and is probably already dividing people whose like families like Ron and Draco, they already kind of have house alignments. Mm -hmm. I also love that you just went in with volleyball team as your first example, (laughs) as if there's like a lot of like competition and like what your favorite volleyball team is. (laughs) You know, it can get, it can get pretty ferocious. It can. I agree. (laughs) I wasn't expecting it, but I love it. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's also so bizarre that it's something that happens. Like it's a permanent decision for these children from the time that they're 11 to 17. Yeah. Like it's, it's supposed to be so closely related to their personalities that for it to be something that's passed along through a family is also kind of weird because it's basically just saying that you should behave and think the exact way that the rest of your family does yeah and like the pressure from like like from draco i'm sure in his family that he's expected to be in southern it's it's very interesting that it's so pressured for you to be exactly like your family or for you to be this exact personality as an 11 year old that they want you to be and it feels like they're almost like prepping these kids to be brainwashed into behaving a certain way. Totally. It's like there are, it's a matter of class, like in the case with the Malfoys, right? Like if he's mm-hmm. not in Slytherin, they're going to be like, you know, oh, so are you really Malfoy material? And yeah, that's no good. Just don't do that. Don't do it, please. Kind of reminds me of Puffs, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character in Puffs who... Um, she's like edgy and she's like I'm not a Hufflepuff I'm too cool for Hufflepuff I want to hang out with Slytherins my mom was a death eater oh. um, but and everyone's like kind of afraid of her but then like it ends up they're just like oh but we are puffs like we don't actually want to do these things <laughs> they're like I can't do it <laughs> and they're just trying really really hard to be like super cool because they like they don't want to be like defined as puffs or something and they're like scared so it's it's very interesting to see like what the pressures are to behave a certain way just based on which house you're put into as an 11 year old yeah absolutely i i love that example that's it shouldn't be this strong already um before they're even there before half of them even have met like somebody who is actively in, you know what i mean like had a connection mm-hmm. with somebody who is in a house currently um, yeah, I mean, like, how strongly Harry does not want to be in Slytherin, even though he's never even heard of it until, like, a couple days ago. Right. Like, that's the one that this one person was in, therefore, 
you know, to have no, it may be for Harry, if anybody, it makes a little bit more sense. Like Mm -hmm. maybe I don't want to be in the house of the person who murdered my parents, but I mean, there's also the fact that I talked about with you earlier that like, it makes no sense that they know that Voldemort was in Slytherin because (laughs) they don't know who Tom Riddle is. Right. So that's a little weird, but... <laughs> Unless everyone's just assuming, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, Voldemort, who is definitely in Slytherin. He had to be. Yeah. I mean, there's other schools, too. There oh, are. It's weird. <laughs> They're making it's very suspicious. <laughs> it is. Someone's feeding the rumor mill. <laughs> Beyond houses, um, we've kind of gotten into this already with Akio fandom, but... Draco goes in pretty hard on the train with the uh, you're going to end up like your parents, Potter, i.e. like you're going to be dead just like them. That's a that's a this is a strong message from an 11 year old. It's a very strong message, (laughs) like threatening a child's life, like before you even get to school Mm -hmm. is very intense. And they're already like starting a fight, like in the train car before they even get to school which i love hermione like coming in she's gonna be like you guys are gonna get trouble before you even get here i'm like you're right (laughs) make them stop somebody keep an eye on these two (laughs) and i'd like to think like i don't know that draco understood the full breadth of what he was saying when he said you'll end up just like your parents like Mm -hmm. he's he's probably around death eaters um his you know his parents who probably are you know, I would imagine there's a degree of casual violence um, in speech just all the time. Maybe not even casual, yeah. maybe even serious violence in speech. And I wonder if, if he was told about Harry's parents in the same way that the Dursleys talked about his parents, of just being like, mm. they were like, they were no good, they were lazy, they were like just you know, deadbeats and stuff like that. And I wonder if maybe that's... What do they say? Like, messing around with the wrong people. So, like, this idea you shouldn't, you know, that they were involved with the Order of the Phoenix was Mm -hmm. justification enough for them to end up being killed. Um, Yeah. You could go very deep into that whole idea. Oh, yeah. But it would probably be very depressing. It would. And honestly, it feels like... It feels uncomfortably relevant to some of the political climate right now, I guess. Exactly. The amount of things right now that, like, people use to justify violence is horrifying. Like, the fact that, like, you know, finding, like, weed in somebody's car or something is a reason for them to get shot at is disgusting. Yeah. And so just finding little things of just like oh well she didn't get good grades in high school so like who cares if she's going to jail for a drug charge like it's it's just very ingrained in us to kind of accept things that are out of proportion Mm -hmm. it's almost like a while a lot of the rhetoric right now is as it usually is more connected with the experiences of black folks and POC but it's you know there are people who are just connected with these Black Lives Matter protests um, and anti-fascist protests who are receiving the same kind of um, similar talkings about as far as well you know you went out there you should have known what you were getting into 
it goes without saying that James and Lily did not deserve to be murdered. Um, yeah. And it is, that makes it just triply heart-wrenching that, that the person who is spouting this is a child, that this is an 11-year-old who is telling Harry this on the train, how, in, and you talked a little bit about um, in our notes and stuff, what Draco is might be experiencing to make him already say this at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because he's, I mean, he's just very, I think I get more into it a little later on, but it's, he's raised to be like this. It's very similar to how Dudley is raised into believing that there's a certain way to be the right kind of person and there's a certain way to be the wrong kind of person. And then if you don't, like, cross your T's and dot your I's in the exact right way, then you're going to fall down a bad path and you're going to be a bad person. And that's not the way that humanity works. Like, you can make mistakes and still be a good person. Like, you should never be judged on a small mistake in your life. And in this case, like, I mean, his parents didn't even make mistakes. They did very good things, but in the eyes of other people, it wasn't what they wanted. And so they were treated as wrong. Yeah. You just said so succinctly some on um, the unconscious message that I know I I received a lot as a kid. That idea of this is the good way and this is the bad way and do not go the bad way or this could happen yeah. to you. But also if I want to just dive really deep into it, mm-hmm. I think that it's interesting that people can recognize that Harry's parents being murdered in their home in the middle of the night by somebody breaking in and attacking them for not being in the group that they wanted those people to be in. If you can recognize that that's really messed up and you can't recognize that like Brianna Taylor shouldn't have mm-hmm. been shot in her own home. And um, if you can't recognize that it's really messed up that they died in their home like that, but you recognize that it's messed up that Harry's parents died in their home, then like you're not on the right side of things. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, Draco's Mm -hmm. 11 at this point. And I think I already spoke a little bit about it, but Draco is very comparable, I Mm -hmm. think, to Dudley. And we can see how much of Dudley's behavior is caused by his parents. And so I think it's fair for us to understand that that Draco is a child and that Draco has been brainwashed a little bit and that he still should have, like, a chance at redemption. I mean, he's an 11-year-old. But J.K. Rowling <laughs> has, in 2015, stated that essentially she doesn't think that Draco is redeemable, which is messed up because she has said that Snape is redeemable and he's just a creep yep. the entire time. Not to like make my judgments known for the entire series, but like Snape's a creep <laughs> yeah. the entire time. <laughs> uh, but Draco is a child who's being brainwashed and like forced into terrible decisions and jkr has said that she's unnerved by like fans liking malfoy and she said that she doesn't get it and that he's what did she say despite having a moral core that meets the absolute minimum standards for decency draco was not in any way a nice person he's 11 (laughs) right (laughs) he's a child and he's a child who has been brainwashed like even even Dudley starts to get, like, the hint of a redemption. And I think even Draco starts to get the hint of it whenever he, like, 
you know, they're at the very, very end, mm-hmm. which is getting very ahead of myself. But like, I think it's bizarre that she has stated that she doesn't understand why people like Draco. She blamed she it on thinks, Tom Felton being handsome, which yeah. of course he is, but that's not the only reason. Exactly. I mean, how can you say that Snape deserved like compassion, but that Draco Malfoy didn't? I mean, he was not to like you know turn the bad guys into the victims, but like he was a victim of a very traumatic home life. Yeah, and so to say that he could not have turned into a better person when you see him struggling every step of the way a really big discount of children who have been raised in into shitty lives like there's a lot of kids who are raised into really terrible beliefs i mean if you look at like i mean cults and into like really dangerous things like the westboro baptist church the way that they treat their children the way that they raise their children Mm -hmm. into being like horrific bigots and yet people leave those things they do leave cults they leave religions like that and they become really independent and compassionate human beings so to say that no one understands that she doesn't understand why somebody would um feel compassion towards draco is really messed up i don't think that particularly you know we emphasize that this is about like the Draco as a child for the important reason that like as a child you don't have agency the way that you do when you're an adult even just like biologically like your brain is not formed completely you know it is not molded and mushed and turned around all the right ways not right ways but you know like the way a quote fully formed functional adult brain is it's it's literally not doing that when you're 11 12, 15, 16. Yeah, and well, that's the reason that we learn things as children rather than, you know, like goofing around as kids and going to school as adults. Like, the reason we learn things as children is because we're very susceptible to learning new ideas and we're very susceptible to um, impressions that are given to us. Right. So, by learning things as young children, that helps us kind of mold our brains in the direction that society wants us to. Yeah. Um, so, I think it, it makes sense to, um, that we should understand that Draco is being molded into a certain direction by the people around him. Mm-hmm. Whereas to say that Snape made his big mistake, he made his betrayal as an adult, like after he had been through everything, after he had called um, Lily a mudblood, like after he had done all of these things, he as an adult betrayed Lily's family. Mm-hmm. And, like, to say that, like, oh, but he said that he wouldn't hurt her. He didn't say he wouldn't hurt, like, her husband or her child. Mm-mm. And so, like, the decision that Snape made, to me, is so much worse. And he is making it as an adult. Yeah. So the fact that she decided that he's redeemable, but that Draco, who is being forced into most of his decisions, is not redeemable, is disgusting. Yeah. And she also... Um, has blocked fans on Twitter for trying to defend Draco. I mean, and to get to just the like, I don't know, the really basic, not deep aspect of it, like you wrote a like, a kind of a, a mean, bad boy, Slytherin, like, oh, my father's gonna hear about this. Like, <laughs> of course, everybody fell in love with him. He's like, 
the trope. The he's the no no I can fix him trope. People love it's that. Like Mr. Darcy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like yeah, he's like a little piece of shit, but like he's kind of sweet about it. Right. Like I could fix him. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, of course it just it's you you can't you can't act like you don't understand what you're doing when you write a character who literally fits every check mark in that like i just realized that she wrote the interactions between draco and harry very similarly to the way that she wrote the interactions between snape and lily mm-hmm. which makes me think that you know dreary is a thing for a reason dreary is a thing i honestly was so opposed to dreary for the longest longest time and I'm just like this year started to feel like okay, I get that. Enemies to lovers, that's a that's a fun ride for a romance. <laughs> I I don't I don't know. It's all of a sudden I'm just like okay, I get it now. But like I hated it so much because I I really was on that train of like no Draco's a bully like this is bullshit it's gross. But like I don't know. I'm starting to get it. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to like empathize with Draco more, and I think it's maybe just because like I'm an adult now and I I'm not looking at it as like a kid who's like he's looking at another kid who's a bully right. <laughs> i'm an adult and i recognize that this kid is a complex character and a human being with thoughts and emotions totally <laughs> oh. oh dreary our next segment is chocolate with madame pomfrey and we actually got some real chocolate in this chapter like physical chocolate so literal chocolate yeah points for that jumping out the window chocolate. <laughs> i was really happy to see ron in this chapter because i love ron um because i was noticing how like earnest and genuine and kind of open he was being about his feelings and experiences with harry um and i i really like seeing like he's not like brushing it off you know he's not like being like oh whatever it's not that bad like he's he's just kind of like confiding in harry and i feel like this is a super wonderful way to build a strong relationship and i think it contributes to the friendship they have like even when he like when harry notices ron has been like staring at him for a second and then ron you know it says like he realized he had been staring and he looks away and you know he he doesn't pretend that he's not interested in harry potter as the the harry potter but he's still cognizant of himself and the way he might be affecting harry and it was more emotional intelligence than I expected from Ron, considering later in the books and I, the way he's yeah. portrayed in the movies. Um, so I was yeah. I was happy about that. Yeah, I think especially compared to the movie where he's just very blunt, I guess. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I like it even when he does ask Harry about um, if he remembers Voldemort or anything, which is very personal to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry seems to like genuinely be excited to have somebody talk to him yeah. about that kind of thing because he's never had that opportunity before mm-hmm. like he only just learned about it from Hagrid obviously and Hagrid was not <laughs> going to talk to him about Voldemort yeah. um, so it was kind of nice for Harry to have um, a place to talk about what he remembered and to be like really truly listened to from someone who was just really excited to listen to him mm. um like Ron was fascinated by what Harry had to say and Harry was just so excited to just have a friend to talk to that he was also just so excited to hear what Ron had to say as well 
and it's just such like a really great connection for both of them I love it so much yeah yeah and I I wonder because Ron is one of the only people who it seems like actually says something at all like hey like do you remember the night that it happened and Mm -hmm. everyone else because kind of like off in the distance like giggling about look it's Harry Potter you see his scar and Mm -hmm. I wonder if just being straightforward like that you know perhaps that was um beneficial for Harry just to have somebody say what they were thinking and not just giggle from the shadows and look at him like he's a orangutan well and I think also because like he hears um Mrs. Weasley talking to the kids about like don't bring it up like he's got enough to deal with which is like very considerate Mm -hmm. but after hearing that like he knows that that's what they're thinking about he knows that whenever they look at him they're gonna look at his scar they're gonna be wanting to know what happened so to have Ron just put it out there so that they can talk Mm -hmm. about it and then just move on and talk about other things I think was probably very helpful for Harry to not be so self-conscious about like what is he really thinking about? What does he really want to talk about? Because Rhonda said it. He said what he wanted to talk yeah. about. And it's very, it's very good. And it's pure and, you know, maybe not not the way you would normally want to talk to a child who's been through something like <laughs> sure. that. You would normally just be like, let's talk about it. How did your parents die? Do you remember? <laughs> hey, Sonny. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in this situation, I think it um, it worked really well. Yeah. No, I agree. It's giving me big, warm fuzzies. So good for Ron. Good for Ron. Good for Harry. Yes. It's good for both of them. We love them. All right. So for some reason, I thought that I'd written about Draco more. There's really more about Dudley, but... We can... I feel like there's some Venn diagram intersection here. The Venn diagram is a circle, but... um... (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. We're talking about Draco and Dudley. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really thought about the connection between Dudley and Draco so much until we started this reread. Yeah. And it's, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very different sides. I mean, Dudley's family is very dramatically muggle and anti-magic, and Draco's family is obviously the exact opposite. <laughs> right. Like, to a T, the exact opposite. So it's very interesting. But anyway, my thoughts for um, kind of the mental health care needs in this chapter um, started really in the, like the first paragraph, I guess, because we really see how genuinely scared Dudley is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just um, him not liking his brother slash cousin, whatever. <laughs> um, it's that he's very very afraid i mean he has a pigtail for god's sakes he's having to go to a hospital right now because of something that happened from magic after being told his entire life to never speak about magic never think about magic never talk about magic and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of magic happening and he has a pigtail like (sighs) that's very dramatic and he's raised in this bubble of like thinking that he was the most good and pure and perfect child and that magic is something to fear and it's something that's unpredictable and that can mess things up and all of a sudden he's being asked to sit next to Harry in a car on the way to a hospital mm. and also at the same time we're going to drop Harry off at a school where he's going to learn more about magic yeah. like that's just a lot for Dudley to be dealing with and we don't 
get any of Dudley's thoughts. No. <laughs> Other than that he's scared. Poor thing. And he's, he's scared for his life. Like, he's genuinely scared that he's going to, like, die from this or something. Mm. And um, my thoughts on this kind of blend a little bit into our social justice department as well as, you know, the mental health aspect of things. But the, um, it reminds me a lot of people who are saying that, like, we shouldn't call homophobia a phobia. We shouldn't call transphobia xenophobia phobias because it's about, um, it's not about fear. It's about just being hateful. It's about being an asshole. And while it is hateful and while it certainly kind of makes you an asshole, I think that it is based in fears. And that's, it's the fears of things being new. It's a fear of not understanding something and it's a fear of things changing and the reason that you would have those fears generally would stem from how you're raised like if you're not raised to expect change if you're not raised to expect new things and to welcome new things then i think that that's going to make you very susceptible for a fear of um of change obviously yeah and in dudley's case i mean he was he's seen his parents just cut out any sign of magic even whenever um, harry was talking about dreaming about a flying motorcycle which is just like a silly thing for an 11 year old to talk about he's shut down immediately Mm -hmm. so i'm sure that dudley had the same thing i mean we know that dudley watches tv and video games so i'm sure that there's probably been multiple times where those things would have overlapped and he would have been told like no you can't play that game you can't watch that show because, like, he definitely would have been one of those kids that, like, the parents were like, you can't read Harry Potter, it's witchcraft, yeah. it's devil's work. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> right? Dudley's fear that he has now of wizards is not just, he's had something like a catalyst to instigate all of the brainwashing and all of the fear-mongering that has been done. Like, having this experience has now set everything into motion to kind of clamp down and solidify, like, see... They were right the whole time. You should be afraid of magic because look what just happened to you. And mm-hmm. mm. I think it's, it must be confusing too because it, he's being told like this is something to fear, but then he's also told like go sit next to Harry. Yeah. Like it's very confusing. And he's also a child. Like they're about the same age. Mm-hmm. And so this is just a lot to be happening. I mean, any child that age being told like magic is real, that's already something. <laughs> no kidding. But to be told that magic is real on top of already having a very strong fear of magic and then to have like it used against you, like basically an assault. Yeah. Is just a lot to deal with. And I think that it really explains like why I think that it's kind of dangerous to say that like homophobia and transphobia xenophobia is not based in fear because it really is like it's something that um, people can be raised into and people are raised into those spheres Mm -hmm. they're raised into believing that if we change things that if we have new things going on if we have things that you don't necessarily understand changing that that's something bad that that's something that's inherently scary yeah and it doesn't have to be like finding out something new shouldn't be inherently scary it should be something to learn from yeah it can be like just a moment all that's happening is something new is happening you can't you can't really assess unless it's like 
a boulder you've never seen dropping from above toward you, you know, mm-hmm. you need more time to assess, is this a threat or is this just new information? Yeah, I think it also, um, it makes it even more unfortunate that um, Dudley's first interaction was having, was being basically assaulted yeah. by magic. And honestly, all of his direct interactions with magic are, um, I mean, Harry threatens him multiple times with magic. Um, Hagrid obviously gives him the tail. Um, there's the the tongue, 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 ten tongue, 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 cough, toffee, tongue, tongue, toffee. <laughs> yeah, whatever that is, um, which like could kill somebody. Yeah. Like you can't breathe if your tongue's swelling up. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of his direct interactions with it are it being used dangerously. Yeah, and then like his aunt gets blown up and flies away. Like, how is he supposed to? understand that this isn't always a bad thing when he's only shown the bad aspects of it and that's a lot because of um his aunt and his parents um teaching him that it needs to be feared that it's only used for dangerous things but then like we also get harry feeding that a lot and that's very unfortunate but it really does um i think it's it's very interesting because it, it's it can really explain why a lot of people are so afraid of new things is because we're not always put in the best position to learn about new things. Yeah. I think that if we kind of went into um, raising children with the idea that like these kids' lives are going to be very different than my life just because they're born in a different time, um, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, people have treated like advancements in technology as like an attack on things, mm-hmm. and they people treat, um, I mean, people treat vaccines as an attack on things, like which is just stupid. But also, it's very similar to all this other stuff. Like everyone thought that like cell phones were going to destroy communication. Obviously, they didn't. People thought the vaccines. They still think the vaccines are going to like kill people and kill children Mm -hmm. obviously they don't i mean very very rarely and more dramatically more often they save children and just like there's all kinds of changes that have really helped us to become a better society that people who are stuck in kind of conservative viewpoints don't want to experience they don't want to try new things and it's it's creating a dangerous um, precedent for children yeah so it's it's okay to try new things it's okay if things are different and Mm -hmm. it's really sad when people can't tell the difference between something that is different and something that is hurting them there's just so many problems and the fact that we still kind of treat new concepts as dangerous and scary is so archaic Mm -hmm. very frustrating caveman see new bird caveman no like new bird caveman throw rock at new bird like okay i mean look at the rich the witch trials like we burned like (laughs) hundreds of thousands of women because we because men wanted an excuse basically i mean they literally were like trying to convince people that they were like 
I know that it's hard to believe that um, that women could be capable of these horrible satanic rituals, um, but they can. And yet, you know, the people burning them, and, which often included women, women were often throwing other women on their mm-hmm. bus and saying, like, this one's a witch. Um, and the people who did that were committing much more horrible things because obviously women weren't actually riding broomsticks and like sacrificing and eating babies (laughs) right that was not a real thing that happened but it's something that they said would happen so that they could burn living people at the stake which is an actual terrible thing yeah (laughs) horrific and it's just it's just wild that we've for centuries and centuries found excuses to hate other people just for being shaped or looking different or acting a little different and barely acting different like putting these arbitrary markers on what makes different but um the world sucks and world sucks yeah fuck the dursleys fuck the malfoys and their bad practices and may everybody learn so that they can not be so shitty <laughs> I feel like I got very deep into this, and I feel like this got a little bit more Department of Social Justice <laughs> than Taco with Madame Pomfrey, oh, but, um, you know, I think it's important to recognize that these things are deeply ingrained in us, and that it is um, a conscious thing, and it goes along with brainwashing, which is very much a brain-related issue, mm-hmm. and mental health isn't always just, um, it's not always, like, I'm depressed or I'm anxious. It can be, like, deeply-seated issues. It can be just things that need to be processed mm-hmm. and homophobia, transphobia, racism, xenophobia, those are all things that deeply need to be processed yeah. if you ever want to, you know, hope to not be a hateful person. Well, like, mental health is inherently political and exactly. that's why we that's why we dedicate a whole section to it, you know, like there is a huge intersection always between these topics and um, we cannot... We are not doing what we set out to do if we don't talk about these things when we're talking about mental health. So, agree. Facts. Facts. <laughs> uh, our next segment is into the pen save. So this kind of reflects um, what this chapter meant to us, um, either just reading it now or how it kind of affected us differently than the way it did the first time. So just overall, our thoughts. What did you think? I felt. A little strange being on the Hogwarts Express. Um, not necessarily bad, but I kind of felt this. So much happens in this chapter. You know, we meet Ron, we meet Hermione, we meet Neville, we meet Draco. We meet a lot of our main cast of characters. And having all of that happen so quickly in this small space, in this liminal passage between the muggle world and the wizarding world it you know that feeling you get when you look at like they're like pictures that everybody has seen online that like make you feel weird because it's an abandoned mcdonald's play place or something like (laughs) it gave me a little bit of that feeling and like there's so much time rushes by so quickly Harry meets these people and makes alliances and friendships in a matter of hours. And it just felt like this little micro 
metaphor for life and the relationships we build in life. And I would prefer that I get to savor my relationships um, and not feel rushed. So I'm trying to, this is helping me reflect on, you know, I have people that I love in my life and I want to make sure that I connect with them and don't feel the the whoosh of the forest passing by as I look out the window on the Hogwarts Express. So yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting from this chapter. Yeah. I think it's kind of a nice, it's an interesting reminder of how easy it could be to make friends as children sometimes. And also like how hard it could be just depending on um, your family and depending on what background you came from. Mm. Cause I think that, you see Draco and you see Harry and you see Ron and they all come from very different family dynamics. And it's interesting how um, like Ron and Harry connect so well. And even though Draco is also a child who's also going to Hogwarts for the first time, he's in the same setting. He doesn't get along with them well. And it's an interesting kind of um, reflection on how important it is to be aware of how you're raising your children. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> it can really affect them and the relationships that they're able to build. Um, it was also, I think, weird to be going to Hogwarts um, just because of all of the things that have been happening in the Harry Potter community. Mm-hmm. Um, that going to Hogwarts felt a lot less magical to me this week just because, just because of what we've been given from the author author lately yeah that it's um I felt kind of like I had to go back in time to read this chapter for it to not be kind of sad and to go back to like 20 years ago and think about like the person who wrote this book 20 years ago versus the person who's writing books now interesting to read a book with these kids who are getting along so well and these kids who are understanding how dangerous it is to believe what your parents say about people coming from the wrong background and people being different versus what someone's saying right now about people who are different than you. I hadn't thought about it that way. Like looking at this as this is not the person who is saying these things right now. Like obviously it is the same person, but you know she's changed a lot and i think it's it's easy to say like she's always believed these things and this is the same person who wrote this 20 years ago but people change a lot in 20 years and it just makes me curious as to what um made her go from somebody who's writing about these kids who are fighting their own government to somebody who's saying that kids shouldn't have the authority to decide what their own gender is yeah, and to say like this is who I am and she's saying that no these kids don't know what they are these kids don't know what they want these kids are being brainwashed to believe that this is okay but it's not but like when she wrote this series like these kids are very acutely aware of the things that are wrong Mm -hmm. in their society and they're very aware of kind of good versus evil and so for her to now be on the side of, like, evil, basically, like, it kind of makes me just curious, I guess, about what changed for her. Yeah. Well, having a billion dollars isn't 
necessarily going to make you a better person. So it's true. <laughs> no matter what you say you're doing with it. Um, yeah. And I think it's easy to say like, oh, I donate to charity. That makes me a good person and just kind of stop there. And I think that she started doing the work um, financially and she stopped doing the work internally. Yeah. And what's really hard is that there's just a certain amount of this we'll never be able to know because you can't engage in a real dialogue with somebody who's put walls up the way that she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm very grateful that we have this space to I don't know like a, a, a safe container to read these and be able to process these feelings about the author but also to be able to enjoy things you know to enjoy Ron's <laughs> uh, Ron's earnestness or chocolate frogs and yeah I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that we are here beyond the veil all right Thank you all for listening to another episode. We appreciate you and love reading along. We hope that y'all are enjoying your reread as well. Um, You can join us next week to discuss Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. We're at Hogwarts. I can't believe it. Yay! And you can join us in the meantime on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. We are Beyond the Veil Pod. And on Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. Harry and Ron are talking on the train about um, the Weasley, who's the second cousin, who is an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, uh, I have joined TikTok since the last time I read this book. And there is this TikTok joke that people who work in sex work say that they work in accounting. <laughs> so <laughs> there's like the song is like, I have a full time job as an accountant and it's people like putting away their sex work stuff and i'm just convinced now that the second cousin this is just code no 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 they're not an accountant (laughs) we have a sex worker and the weasleys don't need to feel ashamed to have a family member who works in sex work because sex work is awesome and nothing to be ashamed about so i would understand not telling an 11 year old though oh sure no don't tell an 11 year old but you know yeah it's be who you are. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>